One Piece Luffy Gear Fifth. Let's go! All right, we are live. Sweet. Welcome everyone to episode seventy-four of the Whatever Show. As always, it is me, one of your three hosts, Connor Williams, and I am joined, as always, by my other amazing hosts. Preston Stone and Chris Gentry. How's it going, everyone? It's gonna say gear fifth, gear fifth, gear fifth. Big big Fexy over there. Preston Stone's with us again. <laughs> Fexy. Fexy. That what a what an interesting what an interesting word we came up with there. It's creative. Hey, so we're at we've actually been uh we've been going at this for day two, right? Ooh. But 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 really, this episode's not, I guess not coming out until the next week. But you know, we post, we live, we post, we live. I, I, it's it's great. It's a good time. Um, For it's those good to be special here. ones that are watching us right now on that live feed. We love you. Love you very much. Very very much. What? So, how you guys doing? How was your day? Good. Good. Been yeah. busy. Didn't do I, 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 I got two opposite things there. Perspectives, yeah. Wow. <laughs> two two different things. Um, okay, well, let's start Nothing with, out of my norm, let, let's say. Let's start with busy. Chris. Uh, ah, so we had a taco lunch today that was a fundraiser for somebody that worked for us. Okay. You could not have gotten it more precise on the amount of food on our taco bar for the amount of people that came through. We had enough for uh, maybe two tacos left. It's a t uh, oh, two tacos left? So it was like, two it tacos was like, left. It was like I was going to say, absolute. you never know if more people were going to eat if you were out of food. We were, I was sweating bullets at first, and it was like, like, oh, God. Luckily, I, luckily it, wasn't, it wasn't me that did all that planning. Um, the guy that works with me, he... Uh, he did most of it, but even him, it wasn't all him that did the planning. Chris we put had, all the weight on him and took had, all the credit. That's right. Yeah, there you go. We had a an official caterer that does taco bars give us the quantities needed, and we were just lucky on the guess of how many was going to come I'm, through. I'm, so. imagining, I'm imagining this guy shows up, and he's like in an alley. He's like, he's just a fundraiser. You're like... Uh, yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I got your tacos." All right, here's the deal. I got, I got exactly, I got exactly ten cases uh, of beef, and uh, and about got burritos in the back too. Yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a couple of cardboard boxes full of tortilla shells. I got a couple of other things with some lettuce, got some salsa, and uh, I have exactly thirty-two pairs of fork, spoon, and knives. So uh, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna leave this here in the alleyway. Looks like it's gonna rain. I'd, I'd hurry, hurry, carry it in soon. And uh, you let me know when I come pick up the empty trays. And then, like, you, like you, you know, time goes by and you're sweating bullets because the one guy is like the last guy in line. He's down to the very last sliver of meat and he like hey, scoops what it. I tell you. <laughs> and he and he puts it on. And he comes back and he's picking up the trays and you're like, whew, man, man, we just we had just enough." He's like, "What do you mean you had just enough? Of course you had just enough." I gave exactly you, I gave you the taco meat. Yeah. Who do you think I am? You think I just undercut you like I'm a that? Schmuck. You paid for thirty-two people. I'm gonna give you thirty-two tacos. You understand me? I'm the taco guy. I'm the taco guy. The taco guy. Yeah. Well, anyways, 
How many times have you rewatched The Sopranos, Connor? I've only actually seen it one time, but like, oh, really? you got to take into consideration. I've seen like all the Godfather movies, which are like five hours long a piece, Goodfellas, you know, The Irishman, Man. seven seasons of The Sopranos. Yeah. You got it down. You got it down. I got it down. Not to mention, I, I play in a and d campaign where um, we play goblins, but uh, there's like there's eight of us, and we're in a mafia, we're like, like the goblin mafia, and I, I'm their leader, Tony, like, Tony the uh, Goblin. And so I, I walk around, I'm like, hey, we're going to go into that tavern, and we're going we're gonna to take all the take all the ale, not pay him any gold, you understand me? Not pay him a dime. Not pay him a, a damn schmeckle. <laughs> I could do so this work, all day. Work wasn't all about tacos, but that was a big part of it. Well, I'm tacos glad. are always. That doesn't sound busy. That just one. sounds nice. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty nice. It was good. I had I had a couple of the leftovers, so well, the ones that didn't hit the trash hit my stomach. So I was full <laughs> of tacos today. Let's let's pivot to the not. Well, busy it will be day. too. Oh yeah. So, but, so so we talked about this the last one too, right? like. Preston's waking up. Oh, so what time did you finally roll out of bed today, Preston? Well, the God, birds, the birds God, flew in. Kids let me sleep in until 7.50 today. That was great. Felt nice. Hey, you know, man. Dad. The birds came in at 7 and fixed the bed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Made for breakfast. Crackling some eggs <laughs> over easy. Nice. Toasting the toaster. It, it pops out. The Falls birds, on, the birds swoop the down. No, the birds swoop down. They pick it up. They pick it up out of the sky and they drop it on there, man. And the squirrel starts <laughs> buttering the toast on the table. Squeak, 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 squeak. What is he paying you? <laughs> How much you begging? Here, let's turn. We should you be nice. I come in. What'd you say? Here, see, that's what I'm talking about. You don't want your animals to unionize. Why would other owners want people to unionize? <laughs> right you're a hypocrite you heard it here first episode 74 we uncover the Preston is a damn hypocrite big fix he's a hypocrite damn monster well uh we all know why we're here today let's be honest me uh well i wasn't gonna go that far but um we are here to break down one of the most recent probably one of the biggest events to happen in recent cinema history and I'm not talking about Christopher Nolan just coming out with a new movie. I'm talking about two massive I mean, box that office. Be that much of a... Well, <laughs> I mean, it, him coming out with a new movie is like is like cin- cinema history every time. I mean, the guy doesn't miss. Somebody but said. um, he uh, <laughs> it's it's not dude. Tenet was an absolute hit. Don't even have you seen it? That's what I thought. All right, so uh, where's those crickets? Where's those? Yeah, crickets well, I don't have them. I don't have them today. Cheap, 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 cheap. Uh, a cheap, cheap, perfect. cheap. Scared the cat. Uh, okay. Well, anyways, we know <laughs> this is arguably one of the biggest events in cinema history. Not because uh, you know it was two just box office uh, successes. It is. Um, it is an event to like kickstart movies back into the mainstream. After we had just gone through that long arc of like COVID, you know, so not only are they two massive like critical and box office successes, um, they've also kickstarted people going back to the movies after so wonderful. long, 
I mean, like, like Avatar was a success, but like people showed up for this. Yeah, no one wanted to miss this. No. This is not something that has happened for quite some time. It's been a long time since I have seen people excited and dressing up yeah. to go out and oh, see yeah. a couple of these big box office so hits. We, we've mentioned it. We've given the details. but Preston, I've also seen Preston, so many like posts of just people going, Offenheimer, Barbie, double feature. Well, so Barbenheimer. There it is. I was going to say, what's it called? We haven't mentioned it yet. Barbenheimer. <laughs> the the like cinema event. Cool names. These new yeah. names. Barbenheimer. So uh, before Love before it. we like dive into the movie a little bit, I kind of wanted to give you guys a bit of a backstory as to why this actually happened. So throughout Christopher Nolan's career, he's been making movies with Warner Brothers almost exclusively for a really long time. And he actually ended up leaving Warner Brothers and uh, took Syncope and started partnering with Universal Studios to release movies, which uh, he did release Oppenheimer, I believe, through Universal. I am yep. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, so Warner Brothers, knowing that they just lost one of the biggest players in their calendar, because to be honest, like, other than now Barbie, like, what does Warner Brothers have? Like, not, Dude, not, what are you talking huge. about? They have the Nothing whole huge. DC universe. Yeah, but it's not making them any money right now. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's making them money. They got Looney Tunes, and it's not making them any money. Um, But it's besides the point. Uh, They they realized that they lost one of their biggest directors, um, one of of their biggest money makers, and so they pretty much put everything they could into this Barbie movie, led by a really amazing director. I believe they found, like, the great, the the best person to to lead that movie. And they planned on releasing Barbie the exact same day as Oppenheimer to get back at Christopher Nolan to kind of like get revenge on Christopher Nolan for for him leaving Warner Brothers. But instead, it resulted in probably some of the biggest free marketing campaign to have happened in yeah, years. Sure. It's like Morbius. Oppenheimer wouldn't would not have been successful in the people wanting to see it if barbie wasn't happening at the same time yeah oh and for sure i think vi- vice versa with barbie there was going to be a lot of people that wanted to see it because they pumped the money into it the advertising but i think without Oppenheimer, there there wouldn't be barbie and the success it's got either without christopher nolan's film at the same time right I mean, that's what drove a lot of people to it and then when you blend those two together and create an event out of it that people don't want to miss man recipe for success and i don't know does it happen again i mean it, it's wonderful it did and i don't want it to happen frequently because it's exciting when these types of things happen yeah. we don't see them happen all the time and the films that we got with oppenheimer and barbie because i've heard a ton of positive coming out of that i've not seen barbie yet um i would like I haven't to either i want to my, too i was gonna family. say double feature my, my wife do you and know how have, you know how long that of a day that it's is? It's be like six hours. It's, it's gonna it's be a, great. It's a, yeah, you're in the theater a long time, but a lot of people are doing it. But yeah. again, I don't. I, I mean, it's just exciting to see the the excitement in the people going back to the theater to see these, and for the ones that are staying there all day doing the double feature event. I, that's just amazing. So I don't know. I think they're successful because of both of them happening at the same time, but. It wasn't intended necessarily to drive the success like that. It was intended to try to get back at Christopher Nolan. And in fact, Christopher Nolan was not happy because they were putting that out at the same time he was putting his film out. Yeah, you know, 
actually it it's like it's so it, when, whenever he found out that it was like the biggest bunch of free marketing he was ever going to receive so he was a little bit more receptive to the idea of barbie being released on the same day but oh, yeah, I, he was I, getting a lot of good advertisement with it I think I think you guys like hit the nail on the head so far. Like both of these movies were going to be successful in their own way. They, they just wouldn't have been as successful as they are now. Like for example, like you know, Oppenheimer was projected to reach only like 100 million or something. It was it was like maybe 150, 200 million for like a 3-hour rated R biopic. But then they were like, okay, well now we're seeing this ramp up in marketing and this these trending searches in Oppenheimer, Barbenheimer, Barbie so they're like well we have our projected box office for what a movie like this is going to do but will it do better and so far it has and barbie has done better as well um you know i i've seen a lot of people say like man i wonder who's gonna win barbenheimer but really it's not about that like both won they they all all they all won yeah yeah, I mean, this was a this was a big win for like Hollywood in general. They they've been hurting for so long. They needed something to like break the ice. Really hit hard. And and I know, like, I would say if we didn't have something like this happening, I would say like, well, I mean, people showed up for Avatar: The Way of Water. Like, they really did. In Mario, when I went to just like my like day feature, there were people dressed up as everyone. Yeah. That day. Yeah. yeah. They, they showed up for those movies. They they really did. But when you take into consideration that like two movies opened on the same weekend and got as high of a box office as it did, when you think about that, if it was one movie and you and you look at how much money was actually being spent week after week after week, it was insane. And to think that Oppenheimer was shown in only like two thousand some theaters and Barbie had like double that and they're still making bank that's insane like it, it's it's hard to fathom really like people don't understand really how serious this event actually was like we have been thrusted back into the era of like movies yeah and here's the thing in the midst of what's going on in Hollywood as well with all the strikes that are happening it's it's just a crazy time right now for Hollywood, and this is a, a different episode we'll talk about at some point with AI, which we've talked about before, but for this to happen in the midst of that, it just shows the importance of the creativity and what these movies can offer people. But without the actors, the writers, the directors, and we have nothing. I I think it's kind of funny, uh, Preston. This is kind of for you. I think it's funny <laughs> that... Uh, like all the low people are like, yeah, we got to unionize. We need to make more money. Like Tom Cruise is making way more money, and I act in like twice as much as him. And then, and then all these big actors are like, hey, we probably ought to go down and start supporting those people. But then, like it flips, and like the only people getting the spotlight are the big actors the big protesting people. for all the small people. And I'm just like, Brian Cranston, you don't need that damn money. Get off that stage, man. Let someone else get up there. Let someone else be the. Well, face no, that's of why you. No, why. You want the big names to be the face of it so people pay attention. What are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? It's, it's just, are you it's insane? Like, it's just are like, you it's insane? Like, oh, shut up. Look, Why look. would you not want the biggest people helping you out try to get Because more... you've got you've got over half of Hollywood completely shut down and nothing's moving. You don't need the big faces. You've already got all the attention. Nothing's coming out. 
They're, stri- they're striking. They're striking. They're striking. Solidarity so, within your listen, own. They're striking so much that they are delaying movies and projects. Good. They don't need big people to get the publicity. They've got it. Those you, big people it's need still to just great. What do you, that's back. like arguing that you don't want more money when you right. want. Forget the what union. Are you, talking hey, about? you know what? What you, are you talking hey, about? Hey, listen here, pal. What you, are you talking do you about? know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa? Do you know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa? Don't go into. Do you know what happened? Because you can't. <laughs> do you know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa? Don't he, go into. He voices. tried to unionize. He tried to unionize. He got kicked out. He got kicked out. Look, all I'm saying is it's just kind of funny that all these people are fighting for. For better but they're wages, all part of the union. But the they people, but the it. people who are making the best wages are the ones who are like, yeah, we need a little more money. Here was the thing with some of it too, though. So I go to conventions. We were like trying to plan to go to a convention out in California um, this fall. Actually, Halloween '45 is going on this this fall. They came out originally and said you can't even do conventions. Yeah, and that's how a lot of them that don't make a lot of money, make money with selling autographs and doing things like that. They kind of backed off that a little bit for the actors and said, well, as long as you're not promoting the big box office type stuff that is promoting the, uh, the, the universals, the Warner brothers, all of those, it's okay to do that. Just don't highlight new stuff that they're releasing. So, I mean, in a way they kind of hurt themselves at times. They are. I mean, that's, that's what's happening. Like, these people are simultaneously kind of like tearing down the industry that they're working in to, to make more money. And so like, it's not just about money. I mean, that's why they're pulling together. Right. I mean, like they're pulling together. I mean, yeah, but they're also pulling for better, not just better pay though. Well, they, so what are they, what are they, what are they, what are they, what are they doing? More. You're, they're asking for better breaks during, processes like long stretches of doing crunch they're trying to get better work life like a a a balance is with the money and the reduction of money they're seeing but also a recreation through artificial intelligence of imagery i mean you can you can put the face of any actor on a computer generated image and that reduces the amount of pay because that's less acting that that actor has to do. Or also on the script writing side, you can just generate it through an artificial intelligent machine and give you a script based on, I want Connor to be in this new mafia movie. I want him to sound this way and look this way. And you can basically create that with a computer. I, and I, you, I think... Connor, are not making what you could be making as an actor because... They're looking at the big studios are looking at you saying, look, what what did you have to do with this? You just put your face on it. I think so. I mean, obviously, like when you when you pull together and unionize, there are, there are things that you want to touch on. It's not just about one thing, but but they definitely focus on one thing more than a lot of the others. It's like, OK, we're going to negotiate with a with a primary with a primary negotiation being our pay. But also we want all these things to come with it. Obviously, that's the case. It's, it's like that's that all the time. Works, yeah. yeah, it's like it's not it's not ever just one thing. So I understand that. But for the most part, like when you pull together and you unionize and you do a big strike, it is a double-edged sword because you're draining money from the industry oh, but also that you're wanting to make more money aren't from. Getting revenue um, royalties off of deals that these companies are making with streaming services. Hey, they get like fourteen cent checks, and some actually zero dollar well, checks. Well, so and again, like. 
you got to think about how that works with musicians and streaming because yes it is a new day and age and i think there should probably be things in place like there is with streaming but right now the only way that people are watching movies is at home and streaming imagine studios and streaming companies had to start paying a cut to all the actors and the people who worked on on that said movie or show every time it was streamed the amount of money that the streaming service would would legitimately lose would would be substantial and right now the streaming services are the only thing that's keeping these studios afloat because like the audiences go to they're like they don't want to go to the movies they don't want to go to the movies because they have they have the luxury of being at home and doing that yeah so it's not going to work. Like they've got to give a little. Like I, I understand that they like. Why everyone, are you, everyone deserves. I don't understand why you like shill so hard for billion dollar companies. I'm not. I'm not. Get it. People deserve living wages. I, I completely agree with that. But the royalties with streaming services, like there are. Th I'm trying to look at it from both ways. Obviously, they deserve living wages, but that's not the streaming company's fault. That's the studio's job to pay them You're properly. Here's what's bad with that, though. Talking streaming services only. You look at Disney. They create. They they'll create a show, a series, put it up on Disney Plus, take it down, and write that as a loss off of taxes. So they're benefiting from putting a creation out there and saying, "Well, it's not doing as good as we thought. We're just going to take that down as a loss." And you lose that completely. That creative work is gone. Essentially, not forever, because there's bootleggers and people out there that. Sure have downloads of There's it always always a way to that. get it yeah it's always out there but not in a way that actors and writers and and such profit from those that is gone that's a loss and no more royalties come from that that's the challenge yeah it, it's in in for like preston for the record i'm not i'm not shelling for these million dollar companies but but being in the entertainment industry and like observing and studying how it works like you, you got to understand that all these things have been in place for so long for them to get exactly what they want in terms of like the royalty side it's going to take a lot of reworking and it, what it's going to lead to is that we as a consumer we're going to have to end up paying more money towards the streaming service and right now this is not really the economy where people can afford to pay more money towards a streaming service otherwise they just cut their losses get rid of the service and then suddenly that that service isn't making any money and and just it just so happens that all the studios are the ones who own the streaming services thereby they lose their revenue to produce the movies to pay the people so it's, it's like it's like a trickle do you down. know how much profit these companies make in general well, yeah, for their yeah, shareholders absolutely but do you know how many people they actually have to pay like yeah do you movies... know how much money they make in profit after they pay it's, I mean, that's how contracts millions work. and millions of dollars. But but the the idea is that these studios keep creating these movies. They and keep can afford jobs. The people who work to keep them. prices low and also pay, but they don't want to. Well, I, so I really can, suggest they try to keep prices low because that is what the consumer will purchase. But the but then it switches to okay, we're going to switch. We can't get it from the consumer. We're going to start taking it from advertisements and what we pay for which would be ad-free at times. I think we're moving in the direction where we're going to see a lot more advertisement Everything. with premium paid yeah. uh, subscriptions. I don't think we get away from that because yeah. this is going to change. It's going to cost more, and they're going to have to get that revenue from somewhere, and they're not going to take it from their consumer. They're going to take it from the advertisements 
that then we have to sit through and suffer through and watch, and that's I, I how think, they're going to start getting their money. I think that is the more likely thing to happen. What what I do think should happen is that they should be paid better living wages up front rather than, than a lot of people trying to battle for it after the fact. Anyways, the let's talk Oppenheimer. I, Preston's because... getting heated. Look at him. He's completely out of it now. He's like, I'm done. No, no, this is good. Because what I want to talk about, all of that with the conversation of AI and digital imagery and all that, really we didn't see any of that with this film. Not a single bit. Completely so, practical. It was beautiful and shot on 70 millimeter film. I, the reel of film was what, 11 miles? 11 miles long of and, and weighed 600 pounds. That is crazy. Yeah. It was, and that's why the the movie itself, just visually and sound, is stunning. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, so I got a chance to see it in the Indiana State IMAX, and then I took Preston to see it in the AMC IMAX, which is a, an amazing theater. It's not as big as the Indiana State one, but it was still a really good theater to experience it in. Um, Preston. I I want to start with your perspective on the movie because I feel like. But when oh, you boy. get when you get Chris and I going, we don't stop about this kind of stuff. And and for a guy who, who genuinely doesn't go to the movies as much as we do, and you're more of a casual moviegoer, I want to like get your perspective on it before we kind of do more of a deep dive. And I totally you... agree. I totally agree. And because I know there were a lot of casual viewers that went out to see this, and I'm curious to hear the thoughts of somebody that isn't out in the theaters all the time. Yeah. Nor watching movies a lot i'm just curious to see what the impression was like with this film and before before you get going are you going to say any spoilers <gasps> we got to give the warning no you're not going to say any spoilers no the most of the stuff i want to talk about the movie is on the technical side okay here's the right. thing too though here's the thing too on spoilers this because that's what my daughter it's not really spo- like it's, it's history it's history right? <laughs> yeah. it, 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 i mean it, it is alert. it was this was it already the, happened. Yeah. It, it, it is history. It is history. And, like, obviously, we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But there are things in the movie that, that I feel, like, like details in the movie that I feel like people don't want to, like, have spoiled for them. I feel like there are things they need to experience themselves. Therefore, we need to enact a spoiler warning just in case. Because someone's going to be upset that we say something. We're like, ah, ah. I didn't know he was what? a communist. Like, you know, like, the, yeah, yeah. I was going to go see it. Yeah, what the heck, man? I didn't know they dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Anyways. Why are you telling us all these secrets about this movie? The only thing I'm going to say is, is it? even though we know <laughs> the history of it, it is still suspenseful when yeah. those times come. So he, Christopher Nolan does a great job at that, but I'll save that. Okay. Preston, what are your thoughts? So just right off the bat, just from a, just on the like film itself side, he did so well with pacing that three hour movie, like crazily well. Yeah. It um normally well, I I'm not a fan of constantly jumping like timelines to try to like it just comes off as like oh I'm trying to be like you know like. 
oh, I'm trying to be Christopher Nolan, jump around time. Yeah. It's funny because <laughs> he, this... was the one, he was the one who created that whole movie yeah. trope of jumping around time. Yes. Yeah. But, like, with this like, it's just... a. And then I can't say for like other people who don't know the history of it, because what one thing that really helps out with is because even though you're jumping around, you do already know what when events are happening and where they're happening. Yeah. And he did a, such a good job with um, just splitting those times up and giving them their own time and connecting them throughout the entirety of the film. And I think that's just like in and of itself, just an accomplishment just to be able to do that within a three hour time span and not like, especially me like sit through the whole thing. <laughs> I, you, I thought you, I was going to die you and going Austin through both. Batman. <laughs> you, you and Austin both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like watch, like I liked Batman. Like I really liked Batman, but the, like for me, the style of the way the film was shot, I was just like, so, Come on. <laughs> so let me let me ask you a question with that opinion. Um, obviously, the Batman's a great movie. No one's going to argue that it's not. I, I don't think it's better than The Dark Knight because it holds a very special place inside of me. Um, however, that being said, do you think that the Batman is, while a great movie, the pacing is terrible? Horrible. 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 Uh, yeah, I, it's an amazing movie, but I think... With it's a great the, movie. I Like, if I didn't like the movie, I wouldn't be able to sit through it whatsoever. Well, I, I, yeah. I think I think the problem with the Batman, and not to stray too far off, is, like, he saves all the reveals towards the last act of the movie, and what Oppenheimer does so well is... Is there something going on in every single beat? It, it follows such a traditional, like, the first hour is the setup, the second hour is the absolute climax and the third hour mm -hmm. is is kind of the resolution of the entire thing and so that that's yeah. why it keeps us so held because he follows such a basic such a basic and structure e for e the movie it's equal blocks of time through those three acts too which is literally made it flow so well yeah it was incredible so i'm i i've got a question towards the end of the show and it comes back to batman so i don't want to go there Okay. Just yet, but like Preston, what were your thoughts when it when the movie opens and you're kind of getting these two perspectives? Is, is and that's in essentially what created the back and forth that we've seen. I think it's so one one thing I it's such a good Oppenheimer movie, like in and of itself a biography, like with the biography itself, because he's you're constantly jumping back and forth in times when he held certain beliefs and saw, thought of certain things a different way and you're seeing how going through this change and getting things that he wants to do done and seeing how that changes him and his views and then going back to those views and constantly seeing it butt up against each other or coalescing within each other from his past selves present and it's it's just a like it's just a good flowing movie like it and, and it was amazing how, because, like, you think of history and biopics and stuff like that that are pretty dry at times. Yeah, like, if you've yeah. watched history films, what he did so amazing to to be so close. Brought art I to know, history. Well, some of it, I mean, most of it is accurate. There's some fiction sprinkled throughout the movie that's not completely accurate, but close. Yeah. And it just the way he brought that to where, like you say, three hours flew by. That was three hours basically of history in the life of this this guy and what he felt 
and what he experienced and what he thought and just the what was going through his mind the whole time and how he portrayed that. You're like getting in the mind of Oppenheimer in this film too. And it was a it was a creative way that I think somebody of that caliber thinks. I mean, you felt like you were setting in and you were Oppenheimer experiencing this you as know, well. You know what it kind of feels like? It's like it's almost like you Christopher Nolan assembled probably one of the greatest casts in a movie I think I've ever seen. And oh, the yeah, whole time sure. in the whole time the cast of Oppenheimer and Christopher Nolan essentially play a game of catch. And 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 by that I mean the cast is so incredible that in even the driest parts their performance is it's just got you and it's not letting go. But then but then when you get to the more interesting stuff like the visuals at the beginning like where he just sees a whole other realm of like the atoms and and the bomb explosion in a creation the tests all with the sound it, it, that's when nolan takes over that's when he yeah. that's when he's got his hands on you and so the whole time it's like it's like all right nolan's gonna throw the ball back right back to killian murphy and robert Downey jr and they are just gonna have an absolute heyday straight back to Nolan and he's going to blow your mind with whatever he's going to show you on screen. And it's, I mean, it's like, it's just a continuous back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and I know what a lot of you guys are going to think as we get, as we get deeper into the movie uh, and really break down Oppenheimer as a character. You're going to think, why did these guys get on an entire rant about unionizing? That's because unionizing actually legitimately has such a huge part to play in this film and why Oppenheimer went through a lot of the things that he did. So I'm going to enact a spoiler warning. Let's just dive right into it. Like Preston, talk about, talk about the rest of the movie in whatever length you want. If you may, we're, we're, we're officially at the halfway point. Spoiler warning from here. Um, man, I, I'm just going to say the thing that I want to say. There's, there's definite cringe in this movie. What do you oh, mean? Cringe. Cringe. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Some parts of it, I was just like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, Elaborate. Yeah, yeah, go on. So, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I'm above, like, see, all right, so let's, all right, so when he's getting questioned and, like, I, I get it for, like, the, like, I get it artistically, but do I like it? Not really. So whenever she was riding him while he was getting interviewed and his wife was watching, yeah. I get it. Like I get it artistically, but do I like it in the movie? And does it make me make it feel a little cringy? Yes. I mean, that's. I think that's why he did it. I think he did it to make you uncomfortable in that situation because it is but uncomfortable like, in situation. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I like. Like I said, I get it. Didn't love it. I. I so also. Well, I just, I just, I want to get your opinion on this, Preston, because I might put this into perspective for you a little more. But let me know if I'm breaking it down too far, because this is real. Christopher Nolan has said this. So when it's shot in black and white, that is a, that's an objective point of view. That means you're watching fact. What is on record in history? When you're watching everything that's in color, it's from, it's from a subjective point of view. So it's how the people around Oppenheimer and Oppenheimer himself perceived the situation going on and kind of retold that as time went on. So do you think that the choice to have that scene was in like, 
it was it was intentful to create that that sense of like being very uncomfortable because the tension in the room was uncomfortable because you did kind of dance around that question like you know he 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 blushed and he yeah. kind of had to dance around that question a little bit and then he gets just I, exposed to his wife you know? yeah like like i said i get it i do i do like it artistically but <laughs> what about what about the scene before that when she gets off now there and goes and deaf. gets the book and that scene i didn't mind i actually like i like i like that scene that one was okay. like that one had like it felt i don't know it just felt I, like yeah i i see what you're saying i i get what you're saying it sets the tone for yeah. everything to come afterwards yeah i did see a really funny meme where uh i, I have we all seen like, the the guardians of the galaxy 3 beam where he's like flying through space you know yeah and they're they're like on my way to yeah, anyways, uh, there was this one where it's like, hey, Oppenheimer, you should come to this party. And he's like, nah. And he's like, I've got depressed communist girls. And then it's like, da 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 He comes flying in. I thought that was so funny. But um, when you think about, like, life and that stuff actually happened, it's not funny very much. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so what I think, about, uh, so the prop, Kristen, you're a, a communist manifesto reader. Mm-hmm. What are, what are your thoughts on the ownership and property pieces that they had within the film? I I you know I'm not gonna lie they didn't do too bad of a job. In what way? Portraying it. Yeah. I did I did like the way they portrayed it. They they, don't, they make it look kind of like not that bad but i guess it's because the people in the movie thought it wasn't that bad you know not until later it's it's not that bad ah here we are communist Uh manifesto talking about the union yeah anyways (laughs) there was a trap we got you that's right that's right Fuck. (laughs) we got a communist here raise the alarms we got a goddamn communist here i knew it no wonder we get into such heated battles i love my country and you don't (laughs) raider I just want my country to be better. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Uh, we 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 have fun. We have fun here. Um, yeah. So, um, what do you think, Preston? Film quality. Like, did you notice the film quality um, versus what we typically see digitally? And since you've seen it in IMAX, what was your thoughts of the presentation of the film? Yeah. No. I uh, I I love loved it. I, you can definitely tell a difference every time film was used. Well, the film was That's used wh- through the entire thing. Yeah, like I was gonna say, it. Um, yeah, it just you can definitely tell a difference, and you get that sense of a difference like immediately as soon as you start the movie. You're like, oh, this is this what is a think, film. Think of the sound that came with it. I think was it's the, it, it was the best mixed Nolan movie I think I've ever I've ever heard. I liked the I liked what he did because obviously before dropping the bomb, there was tests that were done with the bomb to ensure that it was going to work. It gradually got louder. Spoiler alert! It worked. But I liked the pause, the breathing in the space because I I was ready. That was the coolest part of the movie. When it blew, I was like, "Wait a minute, where's the sound?" And it was like, "Oh yeah." They would not hear it. And then to show at each distance where they were, how that sound would have rippled and got quieter was 
man, just genius. I, I've seen a lot of people that are like, you know, I don't think that was scientifically accurate. I think, and I, I just thought, <laughs> okay, well, uh, huh? <laughs> Have you read just about? Enjoy it? the movie. Well, no, like it's literal. Like that's actually what happened. Like you don't need to yeah, question. You don't need to the... question in science. Like based off of the accounts of what happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's how that. That's how that stuff works. I mean, think about thunder. You know, like sound, it it, it propagates through waves differently. So, lightning yeah. before the thunder. People, I don't think people like who have access to the internet are as educated as they need to be before they comment on things like that. I saw, Welcome I saw, the I saw another, I saw another like blog post where it was like, here is why Oppenheimer's. Uh, cast is entirely white. You know, Nolan has often only chosen like white characters for his movie. And I'm thinking to myself, did you watch Tenet? <laughs> what? <laughs> are you sure about that? But also, like, how are you going to make a historically accurate film and not stick to like the actual facts? Like, I mean, not not that like I'm not taking the side of like, yeah, no, Ariel has to be white because she was in a she was white in the cartoon. No, it's like this is you're retelling this is a history. fictional character. Yeah, that's a fictional yeah. character. This is real life. <laughs> but it, it, it's 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 like people were trying to make claims about this movie just to like shout into the void and, and just choosing something to be angry about. I think the other thing, speaking of characters, not necessarily race, but gender, um, that was one thing I've heard was Christopher Nolan kind of being not giving women their just, yeah. I guess, uh, support in, in the films that he makes. But if you think about this film, I mean, the there wasn't the a lot. But look at Emily Blunt and kind of what she, – she was basically one of the last kind of statements where she didn't shake the hand at the end of the movie. No, she killed that like, role. She yeah. killed that role. This was a very strong statement that that came out, and it showed her as a strong actress too. The, Even though she didn't have a whole lot of like acting within the movie, I think she portrayed the character that she was. Had really good presence. The testimonial that she gave would like like sent chills down my arms. I was like, "Oh, this is amazing! This is so good!" And, um, and she was the strongest one in any yeah. of those testimonies that. that mm-hmm. We, uh, what, what did you think, Preston, of the the cast? Did you feel like it was? I know Connor, you said it was like brilliant. I just, I think they couldn't have gotten a better cast to do it. Um, what were your thoughts, though, Preston? I just kept thinking. Uh, I'm glad uh, uh, Peaky Blinders finally got out of got out of got out of Britain. Was able to become a physicist. You know, physicist, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He was very awkward in the film too, just like you would think Oppenheimer. Yeah, no, would no. Be. He, he killed. Nailed, he yeah. killed it. I'm gonna say, even I, the looks and and looking into his eyes and just the kind of the facial expression yeah, he had, man, he, it was just spot on. It's so good. I and it just is, felt like like even though there were like pretty like heavy hitter names like Robert Downey Jr. I never felt taken out of the movie by like, oh, it's that person. I never I, had that thought. I think the only know? time I had that thought was Rami Malek because he literally took such a backseat role the entire – and he would just show up and he'd be like, hi, it's oh, me, yeah. uh, Rami Malek. Yeah, that one did take me out. <laughs> <laughs> He's li- like literally so, he would hey. show up. 
Hey, here's I the... <laughs> that Oppenheimer did a great job. He blew up Japan, and this man wants to tear him down. Like, uh, like, dude, go back to playing Freddie Mercury. No, he was great. I, but I he think... literally was just, like, not there the whole time, and then he shows up. I think a... that was the purpose of it. Josh Peck. <laughs> Josh because Peck. He did... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, often, huh? Uh, uh. Drink? Where are the new codes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Matt Damon, Matt Damon nailed it, though, I think. Oh, I think was he so was super good. Dude, that was so good. He, he is a, a gruff old guy in this, and you never before thought of Matt Damon in that way. But he owned this role, and what, he's in his 50s, I guess, yeah. now? But portrayed that character just, I think, perfectly. Matt, Matt Damon and uh, Rob, I, oh my gosh, I cannot think of think of the guy's name. The guy who was the uh, primary interrogator of Oppenheimer during his listening, he was oh, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. He is so good. And one of the one of the the National Defense like board members uh, from he was like Carl from Go. I think that's his name, right? From Ghost. Uh, maybe huge huge actor, huge actor. Um, he, I mean, like he, again, was like a huge, like a pretty big heavy hitter that just kind of took a back seat and just did what he needed to. But I think that's what happens. Like you, you, you want to be in a Nolan movie. Well, I think you want to like, obviously you want to be in a, is. yeah, you want to be in a Nolan movie, but when you have a good enough script, everyone's going to want to be in your movie. Oh yeah, sure. Like. Ever, like, I, I've heard stories of directors who have conversations with, with like really big actors and they say, well, I think I would really love to try this part out. And I've, I've, I've heard of a lot of really just novice or like new directors being like, oh, I would I would love to have you. But uh, I oh, yeah, it, it was Quentin Tarantino after he got done making Reservoir Dogs. He was casting Pulp Fiction. And uh, he went to Bruce Willis because he's like, Bruce, I've got a really great role for you. I think you would absolutely kill this. Um, please read it. And he goes, yeah, you know, I think it's great. I think it's great. But I would really love to play. Uh, he wanted to play Samuel Jackson's part. And he was like, uh, you know, I, I, you know, consider it. But I just don't like imagine like being one movie fresh in your career. And and you've got to explain to Bruce Willis why you got to turn him down for the role. But but you change. And so, like, well, you've got a good enough script. Everyone under the sun's going to want to be in that movie. And I think that was the case with this. Like, this was such a powerful script. And I think it's... I think the movie itself is more relevant today than it ever has been. I mean, I, th I think we spoke about it yesterday. I think, personally, we are closer to nuclear war than we have been since, like, the 1980s. Yeah. So that's that's the thing too with this movie and I mean knowing what happened that really did change our world. I mean what are your thoughts on that cuz that's the predicament the whole time. I mean Oppenheimer struggled with this knowing that he opened this Pandora's Open. box and the nuclear capabilities that we have to destroy our world are in our hands now. And he was the the creator of that. And I think that's what his struggle was. And that's what you see throughout this film, knowing that he created the destruction, the potential destruction of mankind. 
Preston, I want to get your input on something I'm about to say because I feel like you might be able to relate to this a little bit in the sense of like where I'm coming from with when when I say this. I almost feel like today's generations haven't had to live with a very serious like threat hanging over their heads aside from like you know not not a pandemic i mean like war because you know, Preston, when you and i were born like we might not be able to remember it but we lived through like the worst parts of being in afghanistan and and you know 9 11 well and, we didn't even really feel in much effects from that well I, but but still you know like you heard about it and you heard how terrible it was right like mm-hmm. it, it it wasn't that we didn't feel the effects like presumably we didn't feel the effects of nuclear war everyone else did but when you when you think about what what kids and like young teens young adults have been through in their life there we don't understand the legitimacy of nuclear weapons and the potential of an all out nuclear war being able to end the world like they put it in a call of duty game because it's like oh something cool you can get to kill everyone on the map like they have no real idea of what threat it is because they've never seen something like that used. You know, like they have no I don't think you like truly understand that unless you're like in it though. Well no, I don't I mean I don't think you ever truly understand. I mean like that's a totally different experience, but when you live through the bombing actually happening, I can't imagine what people were thinking. I mean like you were thrusted into the cold war where everyone was afraid and they had bomb shelters every like two feet in america like they still have like at iu like they still have buildings that were designed to be fallout shelters and they're still there and they've like converted the rooms into classrooms and it's really kind of crazy because to see like how far people went because of how afraid they were into now we, we don't take precautions because of the the potential of nuclear war i think we've just accepted the fact that if someone fires a nuke big enough we're probably all gonna die like Seeing this movie, seeing the power that it had, and seeing this, the, the possibility that a big enough bomb could still ignite the atmosphere and, and burn the atmosphere, it puts into perspective, like, the power at which we have. So, I mean, at least for me, I, I was like, wow, like, I truly didn't understand what kind of power, like, I've heard about how serious they are, but to, to see it... And to see the severity and to see its effects after, like that's. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I kind of like already kind of had that feeling going into the movie, just because over the past like year or so, I've been listening to nonstop World War II podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We could chalk you up to like a like a fifty year old father watching like. Yeah. The, the civil war box set when it came out you know <laughs> i don't know chris what, what do you what do you think when i say that when i say that like this generation doesn't truly understand it like why why it's such an important film is because it does put that into perspective yeah i think i think nobody really understands the magnitude of the power that's there and the nuclear capabilities within our world and I think people felt it more during World War II because our world was at war. I mean, Germany has had surrendered, but Japan was still fighting hard against us. That's why we dropped the bombs. And they were not going to stop. Ended, 
and that's what ended that war but we felt it because we had so much going on in our country that everybody was involved with it i mean you had you had uh rations of things because there were certain materials that were had to be used to create weaponry and tanks and missiles and everything so everybody's seen that close to home when we have war now i mean we're fighting with drones and stuff we don't necessarily see that so the technologies have changed but the power has increased and that's the scary thing i think a lot of times when you hear of soldiers in war a lot of times it's like a game and they're playing and we still don't have a concrete a game and you're seeing you're not you're not seeing battles in the battlefield you're seeing things that are images from drone shots and i think that's what we've seen with hiroshima and the atomic bomb being dropped i mean this film oppenheimer didn't he's seen the test of what was going to happen but he didn't see it actually happening yeah and that's what haunted him knowing what the capabilities were and the destruction that came with it and we don't see that in the film and and Christopher Nolan has gotten criticism of that too by not showing it. But we were in the perspective of Oppenheimer it's who didn't see a it biopic. either. And, it's, it, it, and that's the way this film yeah. should have been. It shouldn't have shown that destruction. But that's what was created when Oppenheimer walks into the gymnasium and is front of all the screaming. Um, I mean, you see flags waving behind them in the crowd. They're stomping on the, the, the stands. And it gets loud, and then all of a sudden he's just kind of taken back by what have I done? And he starts to see these images. I mean, there's a body that he steps through that is charred and just things that he thinks and that are rolling through his mind because he knows the destruction and the capabilities of these bombs and what just happened by dropping those bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And that's what he go when he goes to see President Truman. That was the crazy thing too. He's like, I've got blood on my hands now because I'm being looked at as the father of the atomic weaponry that we now have. And he knew that was changing our world, and it had just been used. And what does Truman do? He looks at him and he says, "Hiroshima is not about you." Oppenheimer walks out and he says, don't ever let that crybaby back in my office. Gary Oldman, incredible performance. uh, Incredible performance. And it's like, that's the mindset of some. It was like, we had to do this or we were going to see thousands of more die. And what Oppenheimer was struggling with was all those that did die, but not thinking about the countless people that that were saved and the world that potentially was saved that that's really what how he tried to think but when when he really got into it i think he realized that he felt guilty not because of dropping the bomb in hiroshima he felt guilty because he gave the world the power to kill themselves you know like yeah for sure um as we so we're, we're actually getting to the top of the hour here soon uh we have about a couple minutes left so i want to round out everyone's thoughts i feel like we could also hop into this in another discussion as well because 15 minutes of this time was taken up by preston on on he was he was showing his communi- his communism uh, out to the public. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, um, no, it's all it's no, all I it's all exposed. It's I all fun and games. Question though that I'm hoping can be just a couple minutes. Okay. Do you what are the messages that Christopher Nolan's getting across? Not just Oppenheimer, not just atomic weaponry. Is there a, a subtle message and and relating back to Batman and what he created with 
The Dark Knight. And do you feel like Christopher Nolan let the superhero type films out of the box? And in a way, he feels like he can't put that back in the box. You think of the Marvel Universe. You think of everything that's been exploded from really the the creation of the Batman films. Are you, are you calling what, are you calling Christopher Nolan the superhero Oppenheimer? Is he? I don't think so. Uh, I think he made three brilliant Batman movies, but I think Sam Raimi is the the superhero Oppenheimer. With the release of Spider-Man, I think that's what really started it. Think so? Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. What like about, it really so Robert Downey Jr. So one of the one of the so Iron Man himself coming in this film as the villain and he played it so well but even robert downey jr has come out and said doing the marvel movies just really dampened and hindered his creative acting skills i mean he's yeah. come out recently and said that i mean it's a fair you statement don't think there's any good, subtle good movies, messages being portrayed in oppenheimer oh yeah absolutely like i think it's you know it's obviously it's yeah preston they are good they are I mean, they they do a toll. I I feel like actors. There are some actors who wouldn't be as successful without the Marvel movies. Like those mar those those characters were created for the people who played them. Like that's what that's how I feel. And so you've got the Marvel universe that houses its own actors. What I don't yeah. like is that they're starting to steal more reputable actors and bringing them in. I don't think that's they don't have a heavy hitter. Tom Holland's a heavy hitter. I think they're going to leave it at that right now. But yeah, I I I I definitely definitely get what you're saying. I don't think it's I don't think it's thematic. I don't think it's related. Uh, and then I'll let Preston speak on it. But I do understand what you're saying, and that's very insightful, Chris. Very insightful. Yeah, you just never know. Never know. Artistic minds. That's what. And Christopher Nolan has one, and he's never come out about his politics, so he always kind of, I think, sprinkles in what his thoughts are in these movies. Yeah, maybe we should probably close the politics box soon. It's getting, it's getting sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 hard to. But Preston, you want to you want to wrap us up with any closing thoughts here? Um, go see Oppenheimer and Barbie. Go. Love it. Go. That was that was Go see it was incredible. Wonderful Preston, thoughts. Preston, wonderful thoughts. Preston ended box office rivalry right there. There we go. Doing my part. I, I thought I it was agree. Go watch it. Yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, for showing up to episode seventy four of the Whatever Podcast, and uh, we will see you guys in the next episode. Peace out and piss off. Preston's already leaving us. He's I out. Think, I think that's because he really is a communist. He's yeah, he's yeah. he's got a phone call. He's got a red phone over there he had to go answer. Ah. So.